Come on, we clap for Jesus. Good to be in his house. You grateful to be in church this morning or what, family? It's good to be here. How many are grateful for our team, our worship team that leads us in the worship every Sunday? Thank you, Jesus, for them. And um, I guess you have more of an appreciation if you can't sing um, for those who can sing. And um, Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, everyone joining us online for the first time, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us. And as always, a hello to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Can we show them some love? Clap for them. Grateful for you, man. Well, how many have been enjoying this uh, series we started last week on renewing the mind and maybe going through some of the readings? Um, two of you, that's all right. We'll, we'll, I'll take what I got. If two of you are good, I'll preach to two. I'm just kidding. I'm going to preach to all of you. But um, one of the things I want to remind you, if you didn't have an opportunity to grab uh, a copy, I do believe there are some. I was told there are a few left. As you exit today, you can pick some up at the next steps um, so that you can go along in this series with us in this devotional and application guide. I've been challenged, family, in the preparation of our time today. I tried to condense. I heard Billy Graham say one time, anyone can compile notes that could take three hours, but it takes a lot of divine <laughs> appointment or divine supernatural uh, refinement in taking hours of notes and breaking it down into something that can be um, shared in 35 minutes. And I, I have to tell you, I, I need every ounce of the Holy Spirit this morning to help me. And I believe the Holy Spirit does each week when I share, take what I say and help minister to your heart. And that's always my prayer to minister to you, to challenge you, but ultimately to equip you, as I believe I am mandated by heaven to equip you, not to necessarily make you feel good, not to tell you what you want to hear, but to equip you for the works of ministry that God's called you to accomplish in your life. This series has challenged me because for many years, I've always wanted individuals in their faith to excel, to get ahead and one of the things I realized that in order for us to actually grow in our knowledge of God, we need to do so in community. And every time I see new families come in and I have the privilege and opportunity to meet some of you at Growth Track, and it always blesses me to see the new families and faces that God brings in. And, but this is the one thing that, I, that goes through my mind when I see people. And it's not, if I met you recently, I'm not talking about you when I say this. It's, it's over the last 15, 16 years of pastoring well, you just wonder in your head, will they make the right choices to be planted in community here? Or will something happen? Will life happen? Will busyness happen? Will offense happen? Unforgiveness? What will happen? Will the enemy pull them out of what God wants them to be in? The Bible says in Psalm 92, 13, that those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. But I know in spite of that truth, many of us are led in broken relationships, maybe in the past, maybe you've come from a broken background, and maybe not even your family background, maybe it was a broken church experience that you have, but nevertheless, God still calls us to be in a community with one another. And as we go through this series of renewing the mind, I want you to be, a, I want you to be very aware of what you're thinking um, throughout your day. I want you to be aware of why you make the decisions you do and some of us, if you're really honest, you're, you don't even realize the decisions you've made. You've made them so long, for so long, that they've become an autopilot in your life, and you just make the decisions. You just make the decisions. And one of the reasons we have growth track in the life of our church, actually today is class 301. If you want to jump in today, you're more than welcome. I'd encourage it. 
um, is so that people understand the why behind what we do, the why behind what we do. You might have heard me say this before. I've said this in the past. The first time I said it, to be honest, the first time I said it, I was fired up. I was preaching. This was probably like 10 years ago, and we're at JMT, and I was kind of like, I was feeling good. I was having to go, and I was preaching. I was like, you know what? If you don't know why you're here, you probably shouldn't be here. And then I was like, after I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that was stupid. Shouldn't have said that, you know? And um, I think what I was ultimately trying to say was this, that if you don't know the why as to why you're here, you won't be here long because you'll eventually leave. If you know the why, someone says, oh, don't ask them that. Well, why? Because if you ask them why they're here, they may not know and come back. Well, my response would be if they don't know why, they won't be here much longer. You have to know why you're here. And if there's not a weightiness to it, I, I remember uh, several months ago, I was talking to a family, and, and, and one of the, the individuals in the family were like, oh, I have to do that. And I was curious, because you know, anytime someone's compelled to say, oh, I have to do it, you, you want to know, hey, what's the driver of that? What's the driver? Where's the motivation come from? And they immediately said, if my father found out that I wasn't in church, whoo, they would be so upset. And I'm thinking, well, that's a driver then. Fear of disappointment. It's not because you love the Lord. You, you, you fear disappointing your father. See, each one of us has to drill down into recognizing wh where's the driver in my why? Where is it? And so some of us, this is what we do in the church world. We, we literally, we allow ourselves to be led into the fields that we want to be led into. But the ones that God leads us to that we don't want to go into, we'll just say, no, thank you, God. <laughs> and then we say things like, his grace is sufficient. <laughs> It is. His grace is sufficient. But God will not rob you of the, of the consequences of your foolish decisions. And for some of us, we, we don't even realize it. I, I've recognized this about how much God loves us. He loves you so much, he allows you to choose. And we talk about this so much in the, in the realm of salvation, where people will often say, in describing the nature of God, I could never serve a God that, that sends people to hell. Well, it's your misunderstanding of who's sending and who's walking. You're, you and I, in our sin, are walking into hell, and God, in His divine, in His supernatural love towards us, has devised a plan to rescue us from certain death so that we can spend eternity with Him. God's not sending us there. We're already going there. But isn't it interesting in our understanding, our perspective of how we see that? One perspective says God is a God of hate and condemnation, and he doesn't love us. He's not for you. He's against you. But the other one completely flips the script and says, no, no, that's the furthest thing from the truth. God actually loves you so much that he demonstrates this love towards us that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us and paid the price that you and I should pay so that we could spend eternity with God. What compels you? As I've been preparing for our time today, I've been, as typical fashion for me, I've been all over the place. I, you know I have like a six to seven second attention span. And so some good weeks it's like eight. And then, you know, and, but I'm always constantly listening and reading and writing and, and, and trying to figure out what, what can I share with my family to help them in their process of sanctification and the renewing of your mind. And Paul writes in Romans 12, we read this last week, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you. Um, he's telling us, please listen. <laughs> please hear me. 
Like, like, like really, I want to uh, hear me what I'm saying. Don't just, okay, that's good. I could put that over my, my toilet in the bed. That would hang on the wall in my living room. That would be nice. I'd like, no, so please listen, family. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer myself as a living sacrifice. Less of me, more of him. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, the worldly patterns that you and I deal with. For some of us, they have been so ingrained into the way that we process things, we don't even realize that our thinking has become formulated by the patterns of the world, not by the scriptures. And the only way that is exposed to us is if we have truth, which is the word of God, and it contends against the patterns and thoughts of the world, and it says, what will you believe? The pattern of the world or the truth within the word? And that's constantly happening as you and I pray, seek after the things of God, open up the scriptures, and are refined through the scriptures. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How am I transformed? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Without the renewal of the mind, without you renewing your mind according to the word of God, not according to what society says, what your parents say, what other people's opinions are, talking heads on television, that's not what the scripture says. The Bible says that actually the renewal of your mind comes through the word of God. It's the only thing that renews it. It's the only thing. It's not through, you know, uh, professors at universities, and, it's, and none of that is demeaning to say, but none of it stands to the authority and the level of truth as the Word of God does. It's the only thing that renews your mind, which then enables you to test and approve the good and perfect will of God. But unless it's renewed, can one test the, and approve the will of God? Not according to Paul. Sanctification is a process. It's something you commit yourself to. As I was studying through the scriptures, I realized that one of the things that really helps refine me is being intentional in areas of my life. Think of the things in your life that you're very intentional about. Um, do, you, do you have a few in your mind right now that you know, like, I'm intentional about them? Some of us are like, how many of you are intentional about making coffee when you wake up? <laughs> so, okay, you know, everyone is intentional. About do you forget to do that? No one wants to answer that. You're like, this is a trick question. <laughs> No, we don't forget to do some of the things we're intentional about. Why? Because we want to. We want it. And so therefore, we do it. We build it into a habit. We continue to do it. And then it gets built into the rhythm of our mind. We don't think about it. We just do it. But usually the things that cause tension in us relationally, physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, whatever, we, we tend to, to waver in our consistency in them. It's almost like the things that gratify us, we have no problem sitting in those places, making the decisions. But the other things that maybe are more difficult, that challenge our comfort, we find it more difficult to stay in a rhythm of, of consistency. And I would say it's because in this area, it's the things that are actually being refined. It's in this posture and in this place where you are really being refined as an individual. <laughs> ever, ever ask someone like, hey, why do you go there? Why do you eat what you eat? Why do you read what you read? Why do you watch what you watch? And, and for some of us, for the majority of us, we'd, we'd get to the simple description of, well, 
I want to. I want to. And you would say, well, well, why do you want to? And for many of us, there's not a real deep-rooted theological, you know, intellectual reason. We're just like, eh, I don't know. Bored. Nothing else to do. I just, I just do it. We continue in our lives in this pattern, but in those patterns and the consistency that we've developed, there's nothing refining in us. There's nothing refining. And so when the Word of God comes into our life and we begin to read the Word of God, we realize that we've developed certain patterns that actually are not renewing our, renewing our spirit, renewing our mind. If I were to ask you what are some spiritual disciplines, I know you know that spiritual disciplines are reading the Word of God, praying, um, being in community or fasting and tithing would be a discipline. And all of the disciplines in the Word of God are not necessarily things that we, we have this motivation to say, oh, I just want to pray. And you're like, why? I just want to. I mean, some people are like that, um, but not all of us are wired in such a way to run to these areas. That's why they're called disciplines. Disciplines. We need to, we need to learn to take control of our desires that we have, which may be contrary to a discipline, and say, no, I'm going to do that. But the only reason you're going to commit to doing something contrary you feel like doing is because you know the outcome of being disciplined. But if you don't know the outcome of being disciplined, then why would you discipline yourself? There's no reason to. As I was studying this and just thinking about it, reading some stuff through different um, teachers and philosophers and commentators, different scholars. I was reading and listening through some of the teachings through Dr. Carl. As we've mentioned last week, he's a psychiatrist and he's a, he's a believer. And much of his teaching is woven, all of his teaching for that matter, is woven through in Scripture. And when he said this, I had been listening to enough teaching around it where I agree with him wholeheartedly. He says this, that the most significant spiritual discipline that you and I can work on is the spiritual discipline of decision-making. Decision-making. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? <laughs> decision-making. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, you'll see Moses. He's towards the end of his life, and he was leading a group of people um, that were experts at complaining and whining and rebelling against God. They were constantly demonstrated, God constantly demonstrated his divine supernatural power powers before them. He led them with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. He dropped frosted flakes from heaven when they were hungry. They said, we want meat. He dropped um, quail from the sky. They're like, there's too much meat. I mean, he couldn't make them happy. And constantly they were complaining. What should have been a few-day journey turned into a 40-year circle because they were stuck in the wrong habits and the wrong behaviors. They never had a renewed mind. So Moses is leading this group of people, and it says in verse 15, listen to what he says. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. All of it's presented before you. For I command you to, today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience with him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. 
You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. You choose. You ever have, have you ever thought with your kids just some random days where you're just like, man, I, I just want to choose for you. They're like, no, I'm, I choose this. You're like, no, you don't. You don't get a choice, you know. And this is interesting because when you have younger children, you, you know this. There's certain seasons in their life they don't get to choose. You choose for them. You choose for them. But there comes a day where you know that if you've refined them and raised them and led them according to the word of God, that you're hoping you've instilled enough into them that what they choose will be God-honoring. Moses says, I set before you life and death. Now you choose. You choose. So that you and your children may live. Do you see how Moses always connects the generational aspect of it? Some people are like, well, I don't care. Well, what about your grandkids? Well, what about your children? Every decision you make is not an isolated decision. A matter of fact, every decision you make and I make has ripples into the generations behind us. And what you and I fail to deal with today in our life, we pass on to another generation to fight and another generation to deal with. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. What is my life? What is the point of it? The Lord is your life. Your purpose, meaning, fulfillment. It's not, Freud was wrong. It's not found in the pursuit of pleasure. It's not. Because every single one of us knows, you're like, oh, if I only had the car. And you get the car and you're like, wow, it's good for like three months. And now it's like, I, I feel like I need a different car. And it's like, if I only had the house, if I only had the job, if I only made. No, it's all fleeting. There's emptiness in what the world promises. It's not right. Actually, real fulfillment and purpose and meaning and significance comes from you operating for the very reason you were created, which is to know God. And any other thing that presents itself in opposition to that will only lead you into destruction. It's exactly what Moses is telling the people. But it's almost like every one of us have to come to the place that recognizes that, no, you and I, we, we have to choose our journey of faith begins by us choosing Jesus over ourselves, And then every way, every, every step along the journey of sanctification, it's, it's just, it's littered with choice after choice after choice. And, and, and I would suggest to you, the, we recognize this in, in the worldly nature in which we live. Um, it used to mean, and I say used to because today I just don't know if this is true anymore, but it used to mean when you make good decisions, you move up in your job and career. And you, you could say, well, why are they there? Well, they're there because they make good decisions. It's not like you go to a job like, hey, why did you get promoted? I just keep making bad decisions. I show up late every day. I always leave early. I don't do what I'm told. <laughs> just keep promoting me and pay me more money. Praise the Lord. You know, no, that's, that's not it. It's silly. You're like, well, why are you, I'm making good decisions. Making good decisions. You know, your, your spiritual journey, like, if we're really honest, you and, you and I both know you can make any excuse you want to make for where you are right now. You can make any excuse you want. 
You say, well, it was my past, it was this, it was that, you don't understand. And the, and the truth is, you're right, none of us really fully understand what it means to be you or each one of us. We all have our own story, our own rhythms, our own, our own past, our pains, our issues, our brokenness. We all have our own stories. But even in our own unique stories lies this powerful discipline of this potential of Free will that's divinely been given to us, which is to make choices. What choices do you make? Why do you say yes to what you say yes to? Why do you say no to what you say no to? When I first got married, we, Liza and I, we lived in Pittman. And we had the opportunity to purchase my grandfather's home when he passed away. And, and we were so blessed. I was so grateful. I knew that my wife didn't marry me for, for money because I had none. I lived in my parents' basement. Uh, I drove my dad's car, and uh, there were 20 people in the church. Um, and that's not true. There was almost 200, I think, when she first came. And um, oh, she must actually really like me, you know. And, and, and um, then we started, we, you know, and you, you have to grow up at some points in your life, and life actually presents you opportunities to grow up and and I remember when we moved into the house, like we had to sit down and, and Joe Sengel, I was friends with Joe at that time. And he's like, have a budget, spend every penny. I'm like, that's easy for me. We don't have many pennies, you know. And, and, um, and so I was writing all the things down. And there would come times when, um, you know, it was our air condition wouldn't always work. It would like we, we paid one time to have it regulated so we could save money, but it was always hot in our house but the AC just kept running. Did you ever get scammed that way like we did? It's like, hey, you could save some dollars in the summer. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. It's just, they should have just said, it'll always be hot in your house. So it's like, I'm sorry, I'm, my mind, I'm deviating. And, um, and I remember one time my wife was like, hey, can we, can, can we go out to eat, you know? And at that time, I hadn't realized that my greatest asset in our financial freedom was my wife, and she should be the one that was really taking the lead in our finances. But I was trying to alleviate her from any additional tension and stress. And I said, no, honey, I got it, I got it. And when she asked me, can we go out to eat, my, my immediate default was like, yes, where do you want to go, you know? And, but in my mind, I knew we didn't have the money to go out to eat. But I wasn't really saying yes to if we had money. I was saying yes to not wanting to look like a failure. I was a new husband. I, I was a new father. Like I, every decision I made was me trying to live up to the expectations I thought I sh that other people had of, of me. And so what I realized is that each one of us, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's how we wrestle with making the actual decision. And some of us, we don't even wrestle anymore. We just make the decision because it's the default pattern. Some of you, you say yes to things you should never say yes to. Some of you, you say no to things you need to say yes to. And the reason we do that is because we're either protecting aspects of ourselves that are broken. Like, I'll be really honest. When you need to be in community the most, you don't want to be in community. Right? It's like when you're going through a real difficult time, you're like, I just need space. Well, you need space for a moment, but that moment is very short. And what you really need is to be in a loving, encouraging, God-filled, grace-centered community that can help you overcome the trials and tribulations you're walking through. But what happens if your no in the moment is just a perpetual no to be in community forever? What if you choose to say yes to worshiping other gods and never to the God and you never actually confront that? 
What if you were raised and you never had any money and so you literally hoard, you have a spirit of mammon and you hear a teaching about tithing and giving and generosity and you just can never get to the place because in your mind, if I give, I will be in deficit and I'll always be in need. I can't. And you don't even go there. Most of the decisions we make are formulated from our past experiences, from the way we view the world, our perspectives. Now, I would say to you, uh, the word of God is the one thing. That's why the scriptures say it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It has this ability to pierce beyond this level of intellectual reasoning right to the spiritual. I would even say into the psychological, into the mind, into the thoughts, into the, the fears. All, it, it, it speaks right to it. Where no one else has permission to go, the Bible doesn't ask for permission. It just goes there. <laughs> but usually that's what we need. That's what we need when no one else asks us how our relationship is going, how our purity is going in our single life, how our marriage is going, how our finances are going. Are we honoring God? Do we fear the Lord? No one usually, but if you're in the word of God, it'll contest it. It'll contest it. And I remember early on, I, I said to my father when we started the church, and I said, man, I just, like, some Sundays when you preach, I said this to my dad, I, I remember thinking it too. I was like, I just, you know, I feel uncomfortable. And I started to think about what I said, and, but it was a good uncomfortable because I knew it was, it was making me deal with things that I was trying to avoid dealing with. But I knew if I, de if I dealt with them, there'd be greater freedom on it. And so when the scriptures say, um, those who the sun sets free are free indeed, freedom is not this just for the select few, you know, like you just got to be that one special chosen one. And then, you, no, no, no. Freedom is for those who choose to walk in truth and receive the freedom that comes from the truth that God proclaims. Jesus proclaims it. I hear it. I receive it in my heart. I believe it and I walk in it. What forms your yes? You know, I realize that when Moses declares this before the people, he's frustrated. He's frustrated. It's just like just the leading people that are constantly complaining. I, I, I don't know what it is. Some days, I, and you know this with children, I'm learning more about myself in this season of my life than I ever have. And I would love to tell you that it's through reading commentary, studying scripture, listening to other pastors, which I do all of them, but usually it's in the way that I'm leading my own children. And as I begin to critique them and be critical towards them and and correct them, I almost feel like I hear the Holy Spirit like, uh, like clearing his throat, <clears> throat, you know, what about you, you know, you know, like, and I, I think that's the hardest thing where I'm like, hey, can, I find my, this past week I found myself saying, hey, can you grow up, well, there's seven and eight and ten, like, what does that even mean to them, what does it mean? And, and in my head, I'm realizing that I, I, how dare me expect them to carry something that is not being presented to them to even carry. Like I see, some of us, we've been robbed. Maybe you didn't have the home where your parents showed you what love looks like. They loved, they hugged you, they kissed you, they, they told you verbally that they loved you. Maybe you didn't have parents or family members that demonstrated to you what generosity looks like, what serving looks like, what forgiveness looks like. What healing looks like. And so you're just kind of like, well, I don't know. I've never seen it. You know, but when you have seen it and you've, you've received it from those who have raised you, then you can then walk in it and share it with other people. And so every time I'm talking to my children, I always feel like the Lord's like, hey, you know, you haven't taught them that yet. You got to teach them so they can walk in it. 
And I would love to tell you when you're younger, the issues of selfishness just die once you turn 15, but they seem to manifest into a greater beast as you get older. They just cloak themselves differently. They just cloak themselves differently. Do you remember why Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land? He rebelled against God. God told Moses to go to the rock and speak to it and water would flow from it. People were complaining. Oh, we don't have enough. You know, and Moses probably just had enough. He said enough. You know, I, I've had this with my kids where you like, you give them something and they're happy for four minutes and then the world just, everything is horrible. Everything is horrible. Oh, the worst day of my life. And, and I find myself saying, you entitled little, yeah, get over here right now. I'm going to whoop your, you know, and I, I start to like lose it. I realize that, Again, decisions. This is helping me so much. Uh, the decisions. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. Moses was prevented from walking in the promised land because he didn't speak to the rock. He got aggravated with the people and he hit it with his rod. The decision to disobey the orders of God kept him from the promised land. One. And I've got to tell you, when I read that, all the good that he did. Like, oh, no, I'm doomed. You know what I mean? Like, how can I, if Moses, you know? And then you think about the grace that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. It's inexhaustible. Can't use it up. God continues to forgive you as you call upon the name of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness. Uh, for the sake of time, how many of you have heard um, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus being in the wilderness? Have you ever heard that? Put your hands up. Jesus is led in the wilderness by the Spirit of God, and the enemy tests him. This is what I believe with all my heart. The primary driver of this parable, though there are so many principles within this, obvious and less obvious principles within this, but the primary one is that the enemy always begins by tempting Jesus about his identity. If you are the Son of God. The enemy does the same thing with you. If you are a child of God. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did this happen? Can I tell you, having the question why is all right for God. It's all right. It's all right. Some of you are like, I just don't know why this is happening. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why. And can I just be honest with you? There's some things, some whys you'll never get answers to until you stand in the presence of God. But this is what I believe. I believe that when you stand in his presence, 1 John tells us that when we stand in his presence, we will see him for who he is. It's almost like we'll have the ability to discern and see everything. So when you're questioning right now, God, why? I believe at some point in your life, when you are enabled to see, you'll, you'll be able to say to God, God, you are good. You are always in control. You made the best decision, and you always loved me in the outcomes that you did it. I know that's the nature of our God. That's who he is. Jesus had whys. On the cross, do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, 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 he pleaded with the Father if there's another way, but he, he humbled himself. His emotions didn't control him. He made a decision because the Scriptures say for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what it means? No, he endured what was beyond the cross with you in mind. With you and me in mind, he went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God so that you and I could walk in salvation and wholeness. And it's on the cross. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? There's his why. God, what's going on? And he has the same question that many of us have today. But then he gets to a posture of recognizing, God, I, I, I surrender it to you. Forgive them for what they do, for they know not what they do. And each one of us needs to come to the place of recognizing that 
Surrender leads us to a posture before God that enables us to make the right decision. Can I, can I be really honest? I don't know how you make the right decision the right decision to honor God if you don't have a fear of the Lord. I don't. The scriptures teach us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know Solomon, King Solomon? The son of David. David had like 19 sons. Well, the ones that are named in scripture that says that he had countless unnamed sons through his concubines. But um, you ever, did you ever, um, when someone asks you about your family, you know your family's dysfunctional, but you try not to say it's too dysfunctional because you really don't know, want to know how bad it is. But can we all just agree that our families are, we have some issues in our families. If you have issue in your family, lift your hands up. You might be the issue if you're not raising your hand. So that's why. <laughs> I would always be like, no, we ain't got no problems yet. You're the problem, okay? So um, we all have dysfunction in our family. Uh, Solomon, we always talk about Solomon. He's the greatest king that ever lived. He was the wealthiest. He was the wisest. Can I just help you for a second? He had, you want to talk about dysfunctional? His half-brothers were killing each other. One tried to kill their father. One raped his sister. Then they killed him, the one that raped his sister. I mean, you want to talk about dysfunctional family? And to be raised in a household like that? And some of us, we have emotional, like, brokenness. But can you just imagine the dysfunction of that? And then it comes to a place where God says, Solomon, you're the one. David, he's going to be king. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says that God comes to Solomon and says, hey, whatever you want, you choose. It's like, whoa. It's kind of like genie in the bottle type thing. Whatever you want, you pick. And this is what Solomon said. He said, how? He says in there, I'm a little child. How do I know what decision to make? Give me an understanding or a discerning heart so that I can lead your people well. And he's saying to God, give me wisdom. Help me make good decisions. The scriptures say that when God heard what he requested, he says, because you didn't ask for wealth, you will possess more wealth than any king known to man. Because you didn't ask me to kill all of your adversaries, I will take care of all your adversaries. Because you didn't ask for fame or all these things, you will be known more than any other king. But he asked for wisdom. The decisions you make, the decisions I make, not only have consequences for us today, but they have consequences for the generations to come. When the enemy tested Jesus, he always says, who are you? That's the identity issue. But I'm telling you, there are three primary things. The first is he wants to test you in the areas of your flesh. What's appealing to you? And I always joke. I always say he told Jesus to turn the rocks into like Krispy Kreme donuts. But, um, and then he's like, no, I'm not. And well, every time he was tested, what did Jesus say? He quoted scripture. For man does not live by food and bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then he took him to the highest place of the temple. He says, jump off, because if God is so good, he's going to catch you. He's going to send his angels to catch, catch you. And Jesus says, for it is written, do not touch the Lord your God. And then the third time comes, and after the, the bread and after the high place, then the devil says, I will give you every kingdom of this world. I'll, I'll give you the pleasures of this world, essentially, the wealth of the world. <laughs> and he says in... Chapter 4, Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. John the Baptist would say that he must become greater. You and I must become less. Paul writes, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing 
and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves. Decide to walk in, live in, think in the Word of God. Clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 4 teaches us, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, but to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. When I hear that now, set your hearts, set your minds. Do you know what the underlining thing I hear in there? You choose. Choose what you set your mind on. Choose what you set. You really want to be refined in this? Tell your spouse every time you start to speak. Say, say if I'm not setting my mind on things above, tell me. Just tell me. Set your mind on things above. <laughs> oh. Some of you will realize that you talk more about the things that are not right than the things that are right with God. Some of you are stuck in decision-making processes, and you're hearing me talk about making good decisions, and you're like, ah, I got problems. Well, usually we have problems because we keep making bad decisions. If you have people that love you in your world, and they come and say, hey, I think you need to make better decisions, can I tell you, they really love you. They really love you if they're willing to say that. Paul writes later in verse 5, put to death, therefore, everything that belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is idolatry. Final verse I'll read to you this morning. It's found in Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Family, seek after God. This week, think about your thoughts. Think about the way you react and stuff. Be quick to forgive. If there's one thing I, I realize with walking and chasing after the things of God and following Jesus is we always have to have a posture in our heart of humility. No matter how far ahead you think you are, no matter how good and righteous you think you are, the Bible says none are righteous, not even one. And though there's maturity demonstrated in many of our lives as we seek to honor God and walk in holiness, we all make mistakes. One of the attributes that I love, and it's a display of maturity in a believer, is when you have the ability to quickly say, forgive me, what I did was wrong. And I'm telling you, if you want to keep moving forward and making the right decisions and your decision-making is honoring to God, have people in your world, have a community of people that love you. That's really what the church is. It's a community of believers that are pursuing Jesus and they choose to do it with one another. And if you do that, my friends, it'll help shape and refine the decisions in your life. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray for you this afternoon? Every single time we close our time together, we give individuals an opportunity to surrender their lives to Jesus. Some of you are here today, and, and you know you're not right with God. And I'm not going to spend time trying to convince you why you should surrender your life to Jesus. It's a decision you need to make. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love towards you, that while you still choose to live separated from him, making decisions to serve yourself, Christ died for you. My friend, I don't have the words to articulate the love of heaven towards you, 
but I want you to know that God loves you. He's for you, not against you, that he's provided a way into eternity for you, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Paul would write in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you shall be saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to say a prayer right now. And you're not going to be the only one to say it. But if you want to receive Jesus today and surrender your life to him, what a great privilege it would be for me to lead you in this prayer. True North, come on, family. Help me lead those who are saying this prayer for the first time. Help me lead them into this prayer so that they can become children of heaven. Repeat this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and defeated sin in the grave. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today. And I hope the message was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. I just pray that it, it edified you in the season that you find yourself in. One of, our, uh, one of our core values here at True North is we believe that we're made to move. And, and when we say that, I know sometimes people are confused by that. They're like, well, what does that mean, move? And, and we don't believe it's irrelevant or just random movement. We believe that is intentional movement um, in your personal walk with Jesus. We believe that that movement is, is directed and guided right to the person of Jesus. And we've, we've built and designed not only our church website, but our church app around the, the intention and the heart to help equip you and resource you on that journey with Jesus. So I pray that you take the time to look at our website, look at our app, and maybe you'll be encouraged through Care Plus or some of the devotionals that are available to you or past messages that are available to you. Share it with other people as it's our intention to resource people in their personal journey with Jesus.